Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. We hope you'll join us in our conversation today with your questions and comments. With us today is Scott. Hello, from everyone, Get and welcome to Oh, what am I got going TV, on over here? Tuesday edition. Oh, you we know what? Join us in our Hold on a second. The Ghost of Drew Past. Or the ghost of true future, one of those. I had the, uh, I had to do the, I'm sorry, everybody, but I had to take care of the launching on the Facebook page today, and I forgot to mute the Facebook thing. Scott, thanks for bringing in the, uh, the poltergeist, the ghost. <laughs> you're hey, Scott, you're doing that. You're coming in from Gettysburg. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing well. How's everybody doing today? Good. Thank you. And also Jeff from Exton. Hi, Jeff. Jeff, Jeff yes. from Exton. Hey, Drew, it's good to be with you today. Good, and I'm Drew, your host from Honesdale, Pennsylvania. And before we get started, I can't stress enough, though, I really do want to hear from everybody. We want to hear from all of you in the audience, whether you have questions or comments on anything. Please text in your, your questions or comments. If you're on Facebook, uh, use the text box there, the comment box there. If you're using the Zoom app, use the Q&A window. Just click on the Q&A uh, button, and it'll pop up the window. You can keep that open all the time. And then just give us your comments and questions. Also, if you're on the uh, Zoom app, uh, you can also join in the conversation with your computer microphone, joining us with audio. Uh, just click on that little hand icon, which raises your hand, and we'll see it and uh, invite you to come on. Yeah, that, just like that, Jeff. Raise that hand. There you go. <laughs> I see that hand. Oh, let me shut off the sharing screen. Hold on. Okay, so where are we going today? Well, last week um, we talked about baptism, as it was. By the way, Drew, you are in the dark. I'm in the dark. <laughs> I can see you, but barely. Okay. Well, he, he's uh, he's further east, so it's later in the day there. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. How's that one? No, the sun just came up. <laughs> I don't know why that happens. Anyway, so last week, what we were talking about, we were talking about baptism as, as it was revealed in uh, a few verses, right? Like Acts 2.38, where the apostles told them to be, uh, uh, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. 22.16 talks about what Paul, right? Paul was baptized. Right. Wash, right. Now why tearest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And then in Romans 6, he talks about being buried with Christ, right? Right. And through the baptism. And then 1 Peter 3.21, is that where he says we're in similar like manner, baptism now saves you when he was referring back to the yeah. Noah. Yeah. Right? Souls saved in the days of Noah. That's right. right. That's so, so those statements are quite clear, and that's what we were talking about last week. But in spite of those uh, statements being that clear, there are many churches in the United States that teach that, well, baptism is not necessary at all. For salvation and usually they'll you know say things like some of the teachings are you know once you believe you're then saved and that baptism's not necessary so today we want to look at some of those objections now as we go through them any of you guys in the audience any people in the audience please text us call us ask questions raise other points we want to hear from you with all of that said Scott, what do you want to start on, on a, an objection on this? On All this? right, let, let, let's start with uh, let's start with how it's often defined, because people will often say, "Well, it's an outward sign of an inward grace," meaning you do it later, uh, 
you, you receive the grace earlier and then later you do this outward sign. It's often said that they'll say you do it for a public testimony, which is why you'll have, uh, they'll say, oh, so-and-so got saved last week and so-and-so got saved a couple of weeks for that. And so let's say in June, we'll have some baptisms. Where we can so, have an audience. Yeah, where we can have an audience and the people can see it. And that's what it's for. It's for a public testimony. Mm-hmm. So let's start with that one. Always puzzles me when we think about that particular idea, why the Ethiopian eunuch who's in a deserted area, Acts the 8th chapter talks about it was a deserted area and they're going along in the chariot and Philip preaches to him Jesus and clearly the eunuch comes to understand he needs to be baptized and he says, behold, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip doesn't say, well, we're out in the middle of nowhere. Baptism is a public testimony. Nobody would see it. Uh, your faith is enough. You believe you're saved. And then next month when you're back in Jerusalem, if you come back, you know. At the Queen's Court. It can be a big testimony. Court in Ethiopia. He's on his way back there. That'd be a good place in front of lots of people. That's not what happened. Uh, they went down into the water there, both of them, Philip and the eunuch, and he was, and Philip baptized him, and then he went on his way rejoicing. So it doesn't seem it was for a public testimony. And where did the eunuch get the idea that he needed to be baptized? Well, you know, we're not told everything that uh, Philip preaches to him other than he started at Isaiah 53 because that's the passage the eunuch was reading, and from that passage, Philip preached Jesus to him. So it says in Acts chapter right. 8, and verse 35. So it doesn't tell us any, you know, we don't see Philip saying, you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins. We see Philip saying, you need Jesus. He preached Jesus to him. And apparently he came to understand from that, that baptism is part of that. Yeah. We, it, the text doesn't say that Philip said, you need to believe. But if he preached Jesus, he would have preached believing. Part of that. It doesn't say that he told him you need to repent, but that's part of the message uh, of Jesus. And so what, so, what are you saying, Scott? Do people have a watered-down message of Jesus today? Uh, an unwatered message. And I just love the way this text reads. He's in Isaiah 53. Who's this talking about, himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, beginning at that scripture and Preach to him Jesus. And when he got done, as they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, Behold, here's water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And so out there, like you said, in the wilderness, in the desert. So that's not a public testimony. That was something else. You know, a lot of people truly have the concept that they just want Jesus. They don't want to get caught up in all this baptism stuff. And and yet he preached Jesus, and the eunuch was baptized. Well, that should make sense if we understand Romans 6, which talks about baptism as being buried with Christ through baptism, yes. baptized into Christ's death. If, if I preach Jesus, I am preaching Christ's death. It saves us how we become connected with that death. And baptism is the divinely appointed uh, point in time at which we become connected with that. So preaching Jesus is going to be preaching baptism into Christ. And real quickly, there's another instance where someone is baptized, and this time it's notable what time it is that he's baptized. It showed that the purpose was not for public testimony. In fact, in that chapter, Paul makes 
certain to that he wants something done publicly, and, and it's not the baptism. Right, 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 right. Acts 16, he's in jail in Philippi, and, and he's there unjustly, and, and he's going to want publicly those who put him to jail to have to uh, acknowledge publicly that Paul has done nothing wrong. But when it comes to the baptism, well, let's read it. It's in Acts chapter 16, and there's a, uh, an earthquake, and Paul and Silas, who've been imprisoned, are now free, but they don't run away. The jailer, before he realized they have stayed put, is going to kill himself. Paul cries out in verse 28 of Acts 16 with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm. We are all here. Um, The jailer asks, What must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved, thou and all thy house. And they spake the word of the Lord unto him. He needed to hear a little bit more, apparently. So they spoke the word of the Lord to him. And then what happens, verse 33, he took them the same hour of the night, the jailer took Paul and Silas, washed their stripes, and was baptized. So it's apparently late at night. Yeah. Uh, So so wait a minute, what's the objection? The objection that you're talking about is the one what? The, The definition that says baptism isn't for salvation, it's a public testimony to show that you got saved. Okay. So we've got one guy. Why baptize this jailer in the middle of the night? The next day, when the jailer says, okay, they said you can go now, and you just leave. He said, no, they beat us publicly. I they spoke. come and let us out publicly, which was, Jeff, I think you're maybe about to mention one of the reasons that was important. Well, no, I wasn't. Uh, I, I was just going to I was just gonna go ahead and mention that, and I'll come back. Uh, I suspect one of the things he's doing there is it will help protect the church at Philippi. Um, if you, you've got these brand new converts, they just took Paul and Silas, beat them publicly, threw them in prison. And then if you just got, okay, get out of jail, get out of town. What, what taste has that left in the public eye of how we're going to treat these Christians? Yeah. That they're by, criminals by publicly having to acknowledge that was not legal. Yeah. Now these things on a different foot. Now what I was going to mention was just that I could see somebody who takes this approach that, well, baptism is just a public statement after the fact of salvation. Um, they might say, well, it's for the benefit of, of uh, the rest of the jailer's household, uh, who's also being baptized. They might say, well, that's the public that's in view here is his household. It's a testimony to them. The problem, the problem with that is the Bible doesn't say baptism is for a public testimony. And we have the case of the Ethiopian eunuch. And we don't have people, you know, there's no place in the Bible where a baptism is postponed until there can be some kind of gathering. There's no place in the Bible where a baptism is postponed until it can be done in the context of a church service. Um, that's, that's kind of a modern concept. In, in fact, fact in, have, Acts, in Acts 20, uh, 20 to 16, Paul was not in a public arena, right? And there was urgency with that too. He said, yes. and I said, why, why aren't you getting up and baptized? rise, get up and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Right. Look, both there and with the eunuch, there's a statement to the effect. Is there anything to keep us from waiting? Why, why wait? So Ananias says, you know, why do you tarry? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And the eunuch says, what, do, what hinders me from being baptized? And they stop the chariot and they go down into the water. So in the Bible, urgency was associated with baptism. Yes. 
And in modern evangelicalism, there is no urgency associated right. with baptism. Right. That should tell you something. If you're watching this yeah. webcast and you're an evangelical, you should just think about that thought and say, well, wait a minute. We've got a different concept that's in the Bi- than what's in the Bible. And the urgency is seen when you look at why Ann and I said do it. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. <laughs> No, if it's for the forgiveness of your sins, Acts 2.38, they baptized 3,000 people in one day, Acts chapter 2, if you read on down through the text. You know, I'd, if 3,000 people wanted to be baptized, and I thought it was just, you know, kind of like wedding anniversaries and stuff, let's <laughs> schedule it later, because I don't feel like baptizing let's 3,000. spread this out over the next month. You know, I, yeah. I need to get home for supper. <laughs> All right, here's another objection. But what about the thief on the cross? Oh yeah, the thief on the cross didn't have to be baptized. He he, and I want to be saved like the thief on the cross. He's on the cross. He can't be baptized, and he's forgiven by Jesus. Well, the only way you can be forgiven, uh, saved like the thief on the cross is well, you got to be nailed to the cross, sitting right next to Jesus. <laughs> That's true. Oh, uh, and what else? So, you know, there, there are a lot of things to be said about the, the thief on the cross, and, and people make the point he died, or at least he was told this under the law before Jesus died. He's told this by Jesus, and Jesus, you know, the Son of Man hath authority on earth to forgive sins, so it says in Matthew chapter 9. And, and if Jesus says, here's, here's what you need to do, that, that's it. If Jesus says your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. I think to me, though, the most powerful point to be made here is is to undercut the presupposition that the person who goes to the thief on cross is making and he is making the presupposition that the thief was not baptized i can't prove that the thief was baptized i don't care if the thief was baptized i don't need to prove the thief was baptized but if i look at all the passages of scripture and drew just mentioned just a few of them at the at the upshot at the beginning of this webcast if and there, there are more. If I am going to set aside all that the Bible teaches about baptism, if I'm going to set aside Galatians 3.27 and Acts 2.38, if I'm going to set aside Colossians 2.12, and I'm going to set aside 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, I'm going to set aside Romans chapter 6 and verses 1 through 5, and I'm going to set aside 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, and I'm going to set aside Acts chapter 22, verse 16, based on my belief that the thief did not have to be baptized and wasn't baptized, I had better be very sure the thief wasn't baptized. Otherwise, I'm hanging my hat. Yeah, we don't know if he was or not. Isn't there another uh, thing in play here? Uh, The new covenant wasn't established yet. Well, that's That's, true. That's true. But let me, Uh, let me, let me. Yeah, let's finish on this point right here. We got some people who are listening to this right now. They're going, what do you mean the thief? could have been baptized. He's hanging on the cross. You can't baptize a guy hanging on the cross. And be sure it, he didn't, there's no problem with if he never was. And we'll address that in a minute and why. And I don't know that he was. And I don't care whether he was. Yeah. If you make, and Jesus can forgive him as we're going to see. He forgave a lot of people just by saying you're forgiven. And guess what? When Jesus tells you to your face that you're forgiven, you don't need me or somebody else coming up behind you saying you're not, you're forgiven. But to base an argument on he wasn't baptized when the text doesn't say, 
And, and so somebody might, well, how could he have been baptized? Well, there's some suggestions in the text which might lead us to think there's a good chance he had be, had been. Might not have been, but what in the text would suggest at least the possibility that he had been? He says to the other thief, he says, this man has done nothing wrong, talking about Jesus. How do you know that? He turns to Jesus and he says, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Your kingdom. He, he understands Jesus is the king, the Messiah. Remember me when you come. He's saying this to a dying man, right. a man who's going to be dead in just a few <laughs> minutes. And, and he's like, remember me when you come in your kingdom. He apparently has some understanding of the resurrection, maybe even more so than Jesus' apostles did at this point. Where did he get all of that insight? Well, Jesus was teaching for the previous so what, three and a half years. Three years, and John the Baptist had been teaching and pointing to Jesus before that. And we know, we know, uh, the Bible says that all Jerusalem and Judea was going out to John to be baptized. And then in John four, some of John's disciples are no, and it mentions now Jesus was baptizing more people than John was. Yeah. So, so everybody's going out to be baptized of John, and Jesus is baptizing even more. <laughs> yeah, so we just don't know. There's a good chance he had been baptized. So to begin with the assumption he hadn't been is a false, uh, is an unnecessary assumption. But on the other hand, we don't know that he was. Right. And it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because in Luke chapter 5, when, uh, uh, Jeff, you mentioned, I think, the Matthew 9 text. In Luke chapter 5, let's remember the text. Jesus is healing, and the room is crowded, and there's four friends that want to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus, and they can't get in. The house is too crowded. They can't get in through the door to him, so what did they do? Kind of hole in the roof. Come right down and foot through the roof, right in yeah. front of everybody. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man that was lowered down, and, and put yourself in the mindset of the four friends, our paralyzed friend, you know, uh, if we can get him to Jesus, if we can get him to, we can't get in, we can't get in. So they go up, they, they move the tiles from the roof, they lower him down, and they're hoping, is Jesus going to heal our friend? And Jesus says, well, Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven, <laughs> which is better than yeah. being able to walk. But, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like if you're really, really hungry and you're looking forward to, you know, to that hamburger or whatever, and instead – Oh, we're out of hamburgers. Here's the, you know, <laughs> it wasn't what you were expecting. And then it's the kind of like if you, if you, you really got to have that ice cream cone. You want that ice cream cone. You just, oh, craving that ice cream cone. Somebody says, listen, I'm going to pay for your year's worth of groceries in 2032. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's pretty fantastic, but I really thought I was getting some ice cream. <laughs> so, but you know, and so your sins are forgiven. Now the Pharisees are sitting here and they're thinking, who is this that he can forgive sin? Only God can forgive sin, right? And the thing is, what does a forget, what, looking at a paralyzed man, how does an unforgiven paralyzed man look different than a forgiven paralyzed man? Uh, I don't think there's any difference. Yeah, you can't tell. And so, you know, you're forgiven, that's true. I don't see any difference. <laughs> yeah. And so then Jesus, I'm in Luke chapter 5, verse 22. Jesus, perceiving their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why reason ye so in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you or to say arise and walk? 
God can do both. We can't do both. Can we just walk around and have people's sins forgiven? Just I walk up to somebody and say, your sins are forgiven by God. I can't do that. Can I make a paralyzed man walk? No. no. God can do both things, but only one is visible. Then Jesus says, so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralyzed man, get up and walk. And then suddenly he got up and walked. Let, let me give a quick illustration kind of this. If I tell you guys, I taught my dog to speak Russian. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> well, beautiful Russian. Because you can't speak Russian. <laughs> wow, what's he got to do with it? He's, my dog's smarter than me. Well, I believe that. I dog to speak Russian. He could discuss, you know, music, politics, all, all sorts of stuff. The Bolshevik revolutionary. You don't believe me? No, I don't believe you. No, I don't believe you either. What would it take to convince you? I, I want to I hear your dog speak Russian. Oh, he got hit by a truck and killed him. <laughs> I've got nothing left but my cat that speaks Spanish. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. Now, if I bring out my cat yeah. and, and the cat looks at you and it says, Hable Espanol. <laughs> and you, and you ask the cat a question, you say, count to 10. He pulls up his little kitty paw. He starts flicking out the claws, you know, uno, dos, tres, cuatro. You start asking it questions and it's really speaking Spanish. Yeah. You never saw the dog speak Russian, but if I could show you the cat speaking Spanish, now you've got a premise yeah. based on what you've seen, yeah. what you can't see. I would just say, Jesus. why didn't you teach him to stay out of the street? <laughs> <laughs> he was Russian yeah. across the street. Um, so Jesus here pointed out, I've got the authority on earth to forgive sins. And he did it a bunch of times in Luke seven, the woman who came in the room and is washing his feet. I suspect she had never been baptized by the, the lifestyle that's been described and everything, but it doesn't matter because Jesus said, what? Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Yeah. So Jesus did this again and again. And so if Jesus came down in the flesh and he walked up to my neighbor, and if Jesus Christ walked up to my neighbor and said, your sins are forgiven, who needs to go tell that man that his sins are not forgiven? No, Jesus, Jesus is not still here. Yeah. If Jesus yeah, says, Jesus is not still here. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm talking over you. <laughs> Go ahead. That's all right. Um, Jesus is not still here, but before he left, he told the apostles, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do what I commanded. And then he left, and on the day of Pentecost, they started doing that. They preached Jesus, and then when the people said, what should we do? Jesus' inspired apostles said, Repent, be baptized, and forgiveness of sins. And those that received his word were baptized and did that in 3,000 days. Uh, 3,000 in that one day. When Philip preaches Jesus to the eunuch, the eunuch says, there's some water, can I be baptized? And they stop and, and baptize him. When Paul preaches to the jailer, baptize him in the middle of the night. When Ananias comes to Saul, who's believed for three days and been penitent for three days, 
he, Ananias comes and says, and now why, why do you wait? Why Terry is style? Yeah. All right. Uh, before we go on here, um, we don't have uh, um, uh, Noah Andrews working with us today, so we may not have anybody monitoring our Facebook comments. So, Drew, you might. Um, yeah, I'm trying to do that. I'm trying right. to do it. Okay. Just think, I, sometimes uh, we want to be sure if we have viewers getting questions sent in to us or comments that we are aware of that. Um, I wasn't sure if you were trying to handle two jobs at once or what there, Drew. Actually three. I'm trying to watch the, any texts coming in on the Facebook page or the Zoom app. We'll okay. take care of it. Let, let's touch two other things real quickly just on Thief on the Cross. Drew mentioned um, the Old Covenant. Yep. Hebrew 9 uh, says that uh, like a last long testament, a testament doesn't go into effect until the man that he made it dies. Uh, so, you know, Drew, if you say, Scott, I'm going to leave this nice chair I'm sitting in to you. Uh, I'm going to put it in my will. I say, okay, and tomorrow I show up and start taking your chair. You're going to say. Uh, it, yeah, too early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if the chair is still warm, you cannot take it. <laughs> and uh, uh, so uh, it says, Hebrews 9, where a testament is, there must of necessity be the death of him that made it. A testament is, of course, where there has been death. It does never avail while he that made it lives. Well, Jesus forgave the thief, just if you look chronologically, before he died on the cross. And so the New Testament is actually not in effect yet. And we're under the New Testament, which is what he left in place. But also, you look at a passage that people go to and say, no, you don't have to be baptized. You have to do this. And they go to Romans 10. Well, had the thief confessed and said that he believed that Jesus had been risen from the dead? Oh, no. Not yet. No. We could go back and say Isaiah wasn't baptized or, or, or David wasn't baptized and, and things like that. It was being taught, but it's still the new covenant is not, not in effect. All right. How about, uh, how about another one here? Yeah, something else um, somebody says to try to find the teaching of baptism. Yeah. So on Acts 2, somebody says, no, 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 you don't understand what that verse means. <laughs> the Greek word doesn't mean in order to, which is not the way I've ever read it. I've always read what the text said, but the argument gets phrased this way. The Greek word doesn't mean in order to. There's a different Greek word for in order to. This Greek word, uh, ace or ice, depending on how you pronounce it, this Greek word, this preposition, and in the English it's where it says, my translation says, repent and be baptized every one of you uh, in the name of Jesus Christ unto remission of sins. And the idea of the preposition is into. Some translations have for forgiveness of sins. And they say, no, it means because of. That the word here means because of. So what Peter's telling them to do, get baptized as public testimony or whatever, because you've been saved. What about that one? Well, just contextually, first of all, repent and be baptized because of the, the people who say that uh, you, you're baptized because of um, the forgiveness of sins uh, often believe that the repentance is required for the forgiveness yeah. of sins. So, you got repent and be baptized because of the forgiveness of sins. Repent because you're not saved, but be baptized because you are saved. Yeah. 
And that's right. a problem for them. Is he talking to saved people? No. No, he's not talking to saved people because in the couple of verses down, he said, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Yeah. And they that his word were baptized. If he'd been talking to saved people, he could have said, listen, you, you don't have to worry about having forgiveness of sins. Your sins have been paid for past, present, and future already. You've already believed on Jesus. That's enough. That's not what he said. That's not what he said. All right, how about the grammar argument? So contextually, it doesn't fit. No. How about the grammar argument? Well, just Does the, this little preposition mean because of? Well, no. So there's just, there's just a little history here. There, there's a Greek scholar who happened to be a Baptist who, uh, whose denomination uh, teaches that baptism is after the fact of salvation, and his name was Julius Manti. And for several decades, he was trying to uh, get... Uh, this idea out there that ace could mean because of. And uh, he finally had an opportunity in the 1950s to get an article published in the General Journal of Biblical Literature uh, where he argued that it means because of. And, and so, did, he, did he say that's what the word means, or did he say there's rare use? That, the latter, the yeah. latter. Yeah, he, yeah. he knew it generally meant in two, yeah. but he's arguing that there's a rare use that it can mean because of, and of course, he's referring to, he's going to make the argument because of Acts 2.30. Yeah, right. And so he has, he has three or four passages that he thinks show that it can mean because right. of, and then he's going to use that to say, so Acts 2.38 must mean because right. of. So uh, at that time, um, Ralph Marcus, who was not a professing Christian. He was a Jew, had no dog in the fight, whether you have to be baptized or not. Uh, it was brought to his attention. He was at the University of Chicago, a, a renowned scholar. Um, and his assistant, Edward Hobbs, um, uh, brought this to his attention. And so Marcus said to Edward, you know, write a response and I'll, and I'll, you know, flesh out a response and I'll, I'll sign off on it. And we'll send it in and show that uh, Julius Manti has mistranslated, he's misunderstood the passages where he thinks he has evidence of ace meaning because. So, right. so, so let me, let, let me, did you say this is a Jewish scholar? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just want to repeat that. Okay. Yeah. So he, he didn't, he doesn't, so he's not, he doesn't have theological bias. Man, Dana and Manti did. They, they have Baptist theology and they're arguing this connected to their interpretation of Acts 2. Yeah, so, and it's ahead, Julius Manti, who is of Dana and Manti, who wrote the little grammar um, that, that you have in mind. Um, so, so the response to Manti's article was also published in the Journal of Biblical Literature. So Manti came back with a second attempt, and he said, okay, well, I've got some other examples from non-biblical literature that I think if, if the ones I use first, if they didn't convince you, I've got some other examples where I think I have passages where ace means because of in non-biblical literature. So he, he had that published. So then Marcus himself, Marcus himself said, I'll, I'm going to take this. So he wrote another response uh, showing that Manti had also mistranslated, misunderstood those passages. And uh, so those four articles Julius's, Julius Manti's two articles proposing that ace can mean because of in some instances, and the two responses, both published under Marcus's name, have kind of become the classical um, 
the arena in which this debate has been hashed out. And, they, and it has shown the argument that Manti made was invalid. Uh, in fact, Manti uh, Marcus ended up concluding, if you are right about ace meaning because of, you've not shown it on linguistic grounds. Uh, you may have a theological argument for making that claim, but you, you've not shown it on linguistic grounds. So to, to my to my, as, as far as I can tell, it looks like knowledgeable Baptists have moved away from that yes. argument. Yes. And lately, in the last several years, they've been making another Greek yes. exactly. argument. Exactly. And which argument is that one, Jeff? Well, let's, let's, let's clear up a couple things on this other one before we move to it. Okay. Somebody might be listening that, well, so some scholars said this, and, and, and some scholars said that, and the other scholars said that that scholar was wrong but just a few things help clear things up for people. Uh, this, this is not a rare word or unusual word, hard to figure out what it means. It's the 10th most common word in the new Testament. No kidding. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it's, it's and the a, word is our English word for, well, uh, can be translated for, but for can mean different things. For in English can mean because of. I am going to wear a coat today for it is cold. That oh, means okay. because. But yeah. for in English can also mean I am going to uh, drive my car for, a, for the purpose of getting to the grocery store. So for can mean different things. It's the Greek word ace, E-I-S, you could say in, in English alphabet. And generally speaking, it means unto, into, uh, that yeah. for, in many contexts, it has that significance for the purpose of. So let's, let's just get some facts out there for people. So in over 1,700 times it's used in the New Testament, 1,700 times. Wow. In the King James Version, out of 1,700 times, how many times is it translated because of? I'm waiting with bated breath. Zero. How many times is in the, say, uh, ESV, is it translated because of? Oh, surely we've got one here. Zero. <laughs> Zero. New American Standard, how many times is it translated because of? Zero. Because that's not what the word means. Right. It's not what the word means. It's the same word uh, where it says in Romans 6 that we're baptized into Christ. It's the same word, confession into salvation, Romans 10. If Jesus went into a house, it's the word. If Jesus got went into a boat, it's the word. Well, well wait, wait, wait a minute. Let me, let me ask. Let me, let me play this out. So what you're saying is that same Greek word is translated into oh, yeah. those yeah. other cases. Well, yeah. as, a, as a matter of fact, the whole expression for the remission of sins, which yeah. in Greek is ace office in hamartion, the very expression, the whole phrase that yes. is found in Acts 2.38 is used in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 28, where Jesus says, this is the blood of the covenant that is uh, poured out for the remission of sins. Yes. That's not, this is the blood that is poured out because your sins have already been forgiven. Right. That's the blood that is being poured out so that your sins can be forgiven. Right. Jesus wasn't just doing a public testimony because everybody was saved already anyway. No, Jesus was pouring out his blood into the forgiving of people's sins. And then how they were to respond was to repent and be baptized into that forgiveness. Drew? Is there a word 
in the Greek that has been translated properly with the f- English phrase because of? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. that's a different Greek word. Well, what would the word be for because? Hate would be one. Hate is one way to do it. It would be O-T-I with a rough breathing mark, which gives it the H sound at the beginning. And that is often used to mean because of or to be- mean because. The various ways you can do it um, in, in, in Greek. Okay, so, the, so that... that the, the atuta would be on account of this. Uh, that's another way to do it. Tuta karin is another way to do it. There are various ways to do it in, in Greek. Okay. All right, so, if it, so if it meant because of, there were ways to sit in Greek to say because of, right? And, right so, yeah, sure. So then it, now it's, and, becoming, so, obvious why, it's so, becoming obvious why people are backing off of that particular usage of those words. Yes, yeah, so it was a terrible argument. It was a terrible argument. So, so um, what's the new argument then going to? Okay, the new argument is that the text says, repent you, you repent, or repent ye, and that's plural, and be baptized, and that's singular, for the forgiveness of your sins, and that you is plural. So let's put it in uh, Southern English. It's where you can tell. In Greek, you can tell if the U is singular or not. So in Southern English, y'all repent. And each one of you be baptized singularly for the remission of y'all's sins. So the argument is since it's your plural sins that are to be forgiven, that has to match up only with the repent, because that was plural. But because baptize is singular, it doesn't apply. So they say you could translate it then, or the idea would be y'all get bad, y'all repent for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you be baptized. What about that? I've never heard that one. The first thing. Uh, and it, th- I believe this argument came out of Dallas Theological Seminary, where that other argument, I think, used to be made a lot. So the first thing is, this one recognizes that the first argument was just invalid. Doesn't you know, hold Because water. now they're taking ACE. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Now ACE um, all of a sudden means for the forgiveness of sins. It means for the purpose of having your sins forgiven. Yes, yes. But we're going to say yes. the, the phrase, each one be baptized, is parenthetical. And, and to be very specific and very clear, the repent is a second-person plural verb. Y'all repent. And to be baptized is a third-person uh, singular. Let him, each one of you, be baptized. And so they're saying, well, see, you've got a change of person and number. You go from second-person plural to third-person singular. So obviously this is just a parenthetical aside. It has nothing to do with the being forgiven of sins. It's just the repentance that is under the forgiveness of sins. So why did, why did Peter say it in the singular? Well, you know, there's a, a lot of places in the Bible, both in the Old Testament, Greek translation of the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, where we have some kind of a statement made where there's a plural verb, and then there is an each one in the third person singular. And I'll give you one that's right here in Acts chapter two. It's in verse six, because they were hearing each one in his own language right. speaking. 
they were hearing the apostle speaking in their own language, but stuck in there is a is is an emphatic parenthetical phrase if you want to say so, but it's it's emphasizing each one of them. They were each one of them. The, the idea is emphasis. Then in verse eight of Acts chapter two, the people say, How do we hear plural, each one singular in our own language in which we were born? Right. And the parallel I really like is Matthew chapter 18 and verse 35, where it says, if you do not forgive, you, plural, if you do not forgive, each one to his brother. So it goes yeah. from plural, yeah. second person, right. to third person, singular. If you do not forgive, second person, plural, each one, third person, singular, to his brother from your hearts, and then, of course, the context goes on. And the point isn't that the each one is really insignificant. It's emphatic. Imagine a school teacher. Kids are just come in from recess, and they're all kind of excited and run around the room. She says, all right, I want all of y'all to sit down in your seats, and I want each and every one of you to get out his book and open to page 61. Yeah, that doesn't mean that I don't really have to open my book and turn yeah, it's like, okay, well, as long as I sit in my seat, I'm okay. I'm sitting down, but I'm not opening that book. <laughs> I may open the book later on as a public testimony, <laughs> but it's really not important. Yeah. So let each one of you be baptized. It's each one. You see why it's singular, but when somebody's doing that, they're, they're addressing a number of people, and they're it, it's applying... Each and every one of you need to do this. I make an argument. That, oh, oh, it's not plural. Is really look also at the end of Acts three, last verse. Unto you first, God having raised up His servants, sent Him to bless you. And I believe that's y'all. Bless y'all, plural. If I remember, in turning away each one of you from your iniquities. Well, there it's singular one. But it's not that it's a different thing. He's blessed them and, and turning them away from their iniquity. So this, it's another just just flawed argument. Just okay, to, okay, guys, you got into the technical side of it. You looked at the Greek words and it, using it and looking at it for what it's really saying makes a good case for it. But I've got. Well, I don't know if you wanted to go on to one more. We only got a few minutes. But I want to give you a challenge, one that is a little bit more ethereal. All right. I'm going to read this one. The Bible says that Christ stands at the door of your heart, and all we have to do to be forgiven of sin and become a Christian is to invite him into our hearts. So your first question should be, where does it say that? Where does it say that? Well, they might come back and say, well, it's reminiscent of Revelation 3. It's reminiscent. Okay. Hello. Okay, so go ahead. I don't know if they'll use the word reminiscent. I'm just saying... It's reminiscent of, of Revelation. Well, in the little track, I saw him <laughs> the car, and he was, and there was a door, and he was knocking. And so, <laughs> one of the problems there is they're teaching that this is how a person who has never been a Christian becomes a Christian. <clears throat> Contextually, the, the statement in Revelation 3 is written to who? Christians? Yeah, yeah. People who have become Christians and are part of the church there, but have become lukewarm. 
Yeah. And, and they're leaving Jesus out of their life. And he's saying, you need to let me back in. He, he also said, the text actually says, if we want to not just be reminiscent of the text, <laughs> it says, if any man hear my voice and open the door. Now, opening the door is something I have to do. And unless I think that it literally means walk over and open up some, you know, six and a half foot door, uh, then I, I have to assume open the door must be explained in s- somewhere else in the Word of God. <laughs> All, right. All right. So that okay. So I thought maybe I'd stump you with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 a good one. We are about out of time, but we are not out of objections. Uh, so I think I think next week, or if we want to do it a few weeks later and switch to something else, because some other things that we'll look at is well, what about in John in First John? Excuse me, in the Gospel of John, chapter one, where it's those that received Christ, and so talk about that. Or somebody says, well, that passage is talking about. Holy Spirit baptism, yeah, yeah, yeah. or if it mentions water, well, that's talking about amniotic fluid, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, which is a common argument in parts of the country. Yeah, uh, I like to, I like us to talk more about the the Holy Spirit baptism versus yeah, the yeah. So we'll and uh, and some other things, and we really didn't get to the fundamental reasons why people oppose baptism. Yeah, because churches did uh, this argument made made by uh, Manti came along, what, the first time that argument was made, it's what, 1920s, if I'm thinking right? Yeah, I think that's about right. Sarah, it was for a few decades he was pushing this argument, finally got it published in the 50s in the Journal of Biblical Literature. Yeah, and people had been teaching for a long time you didn't need to be baptized. That was an attempt to find a way to explain away Acts 2.38, which is what that was. Uh, and, and some of these other things, there, it's people's attempt, but we haven't yet gotten to, well, why don't they just see what the Bible says. And so uh, we've got a number more objections to look at, including some of the fundamental ones, why why, why there's a resistance to the biblical text. Uh, And so we'll do those, if not next week, in an upcoming program. Yeah, and so as we're getting ready to close out, I just wanted to put that screen up again with the, you see the screen, is that sharing? Yeah, there's our our email addresses. I want to contact us if you have other questions that you want to add uh, to the conversation, whether it's on this subject and you have other objections that you want to put in and, and ask us to, to consider, please do that. Email us. There's our email addresses, our first name at BibleQuest.tv, whether it be Scott, Jeff, or myself, Drew. And you also can go to BibleQuest.tv to fill out the form. There's a place where you can ask questions and comments in that form itself and contact us and tell us what you're thinking, what's on your mind. Well, I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Thank you, gentlemen, for your input. Um, and thank you. We're out of time, and the sun has chased me all around the room. And so <laughs> I, thought, I, thought I was wondering why you're starting to glow over there. There we go. All right. Thank you, everyone, and um, have a good week.